and welcome to the TTT podcast or podcast if you're watching it on YouTube. Um, we've actually got a win to discuss. It's been a while. Um, it's been a long time. The first Premier League win this year. Um, but I'm delighted to get uh, welcome Mike, Abby and Bees. They've all been on before. Um, and today we're going to do it and focus on some of the articles on TTT and bring the games in that way. So to start with, um, Bees, your chance creation piece that went up last week. Yep. This relates, it's called, Has Liverpool's Goal-Scoring Drought Been Clear-Cut? Now, yesterday we beat Sheffield United and we missed five out of six big chances. So it was a continuing trend of some of the issues discussed in this. Yeah, it was sort of prompted by the fact that Liverpool kept losing games or drawing games where they'd had um, at least two clear-cut chances, as defined by Opta, chances where the striker is expected to score. They'd had a lot of games where they'd missed two or three of these these chances recently, and it sort of got me wondering, well, well how sort of likely is that or how common is that? It turns out it's pretty uncommon um, at least for the big six in the Premier League to have so many games happen so quickly. Um, it, there are there have been examples for Watford and Brighton um, in the last couple of seasons where they've missed a couple of clear-cut chances in sort of five games in a row and things like that. Uh, so it's sort of like starting to look into that. Um, the table you've brought up there is a list of the games where it's happened for Liverpool. Um, I was only really interested in games where they missed all of their clear-cut chances because you'll have some where you might have five clear-cut chances and you score three of them. So the fact you missed two doesn't doesn't really matter. So it's sort of more games where they missed all of their clear-cut chances. And as you can see, if you look down the, the result column there, the, the vast majority of them over the years, they haven't won. Last season, there were five um, where they did win, which obviously helped helped quite a lot um, and you look at some of those Sheffield United last season was obviously a, an error by their goalkeeper who spilled a, a fairly weak shot uh, Brighton was a couple of set piece goals Wolves the first goal was from a set piece um, you know Norwich bottom of the league only won one nil so they're, they're, they're these games where they miss click at chances and one but but on the whole it it doesn't happen very often um, and I was also sort of looking as well at sort of sequences of converting clear-cut chances, as the chart here shows, um, with the green um, squares on the chart being when they're, when they're scored. And what you can see is that both Liverpool and their opponents um, never convert more than three in a row um, and often don't miss more than five in a row too often. But, uh, yeah, it seems unlikely to score uh, lots of these, even though they're great chances, it's unlikely to score lots of them in succession. I did find one example this season. It, I didn't mention it in the article because it was about Everton doing well, so it didn't seem worth it. But uh, they had a game with Brighton at home where they won 4-2 and um, they scored four clear-cut chances in one game. So it is possible, but even having four clear-cut chances is, is quite rare um, in a game. And then, um, as you're now showing on the screen for the for the YouTube guys, um, just some sequences for the for the front three and then also um, Diogo Jota this year. Um, and again, it, it's more likely to miss loads than to, to score lots in a row by the looks of things. Um, 
Jota, I, I didn't look at his sequences from, from the past seasons, but he does have a higher conversion rate than, than Liverpool's um, regular front three. So it's perhaps not that surprising that, that he had a hot streak there of scoring six out of seven. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the strange thing is more, more the, the number of misses. I mean, particularly Firmino, um, obviously missed one last night as well in the Sheffield United game, but uh, particularly there at the end, towards the end of last season, where he missed, I think it's 10 or 11 in a row, um, six on target, which is just, I imagine, fairly unheard of when on target ones are converted about 60-something percent of the time, 62% of the time, it says there on the screen. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it was just sort of looking at all of those sorts of things um, in the article, just sort of saying it is strange that this has happened to Liverpool. And then, of course, yesterday, as you say, they, they missed a load more. Um, they missed three out of three in the first half, all of which were saved. I would uh, give a lot of the um, of the, the sort of fault for that, if you like, to the Liverpool players. I think, uh, you know, Ramsdale did all right. He gets a lot of criticism. He did all right. But I think, you know, Firmino probably should have scored. Um, Curtis Jones's sort of first touch took it a lot closer to the keeper than he'd have wanted and things like that. Um, but just, I was looking earlier today, sort of further to the further to the um, article, and it, uh, something I, I didn't think to look of when I wrote it um, is the sort of conversion rates for Liverpool's first clear cut chance of the game, and then their second, and then their third. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. So if you, uh, all of this is excluding penalties. So there's been 30 um, games where Liverpool have had at least one clear cut chance. And in those, they've scored the first one 10 times. So it's 33% hit rate, slightly below sort of average, but roughly sort of average. But then they've also had a second clear-cut chance 30 times, and they've converted 14 of those for 47%. And the third clear-cut chance, they've had 24 of those, and they've converted 50% of those. So the conversion rate goes up. That is interesting. I've never even thought of that. No, neither did I until about two hours ago. So this could be something that's worth sort of further investigation. So what does um, it mean? When you're leading or when you've scored before or yeah. when you're more likely to, so you're creating more high-quality chances, the more you create, the second and third one seems to suggest we convert more. But right. So my first thought was maybe it's just to do with confidence, but I'm, yeah. I'm always sceptical of that. I'm, so I never I. quite believe confidence is such a big deal. Maybe it's more that when you get into the game state, when you're in the lead, the quality of the big chances you create is better. Yeah, there's no. That's I haven't true. done anything with the game state. That's just the order in which they came throughout the match. But but what is interesting as well is again ignoring penalties um, and just looking at league games. So the first ten games in which Liverpool had a, a clear cut chance, they scored the first one um, five times out of ten, and the last ten league games they haven't scored any of their first clear cut chance. The only example is the Man City game, and that's a penalty. So I'm sort of ignoring that. Yeah. And that was the only clear-cut chance of the game. So if you look at from Newcastle away onwards, 10 league games, at least one non-clear-cut chance in all of them, more than one in, in um, eight of them. But each time they've missed the first clear-cut chance. And from memory, apart from Southampton, because they conceded so early, um, oh, and probably Everton as well, but the other eight were all at nil-nil and they've missed a clear-cut chance. Now, of course... You couldn't expect them to score them all, but even just a few of those going in, and I suspect we're seeing different results to, 
to what we've seen in the last couple of months. So, um, as I say, it's just something I've kind of looked at this afternoon. I, you know, the, it could be just random. It's just this season, but it seems interesting that mm. there is that pattern, at least, of the conversion rate improving the further one in the game. As you say, it's probably the game state. In a lot of them, they'll be in a more favourable game state later on, and it, it should then be easier. But obviously, they haven't had too many favourable um, game states recently. So, uh, yeah, I can probably look at that for last season as well and just see how it compares. So I guess watch this space on that. Absolutely, yeah. Mike, um, one of the interesting facts of numbers from Firmino is that he converted nine out of 33 big chances. Now, that's really low, but the trend continues this season. What At what point does that become an issue for the team or an issue that might put a cloud over a selection? Yeah, I find it very hard to hear criticism of Firmino, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Well, you know you're the right one because we're going to come to Abbey on the possible yeah. criticisms then. Yeah. So, I mean, my sort of declaration of prior interest is I just love him and I love the way he plays and I love the way he makes everyone around him look so very good. Um, but there's no denying that uh, um, I think the numbers you just cited are not especially bad, but there have been strings when it just felt like he would do... Any other place in the pitch, he would know precisely where he wanted the ball to go and pass it there. And then when he gets within 12 yards of the goal, he loses the ability to do that. And I just don't mm. understand it. Well, four out of, it says four out of 15 on the article. I think that's four out of 17, might be more um, at the moment. Abby, Abby when, when do we start to say he's got to start converting a better rate than this? I think when he gets more, like, less game time, I think, you know, when Jota comes back and there's a bit of rotation, because this is like a cyclical sort of thing where the offense mm-hmm. is, knows that, you know, if you can't defend better, you got to score. And then there's, like, you know, psychological impact that you've got to convert those chances, puts more pressure on the guys up front. And your first instinct is, like, you know, you think and then you shoot sometimes, and then mm-hmm. it may or may not go in. But when you're thinking, I mean, you're looking at the position of the keeper, then you showed it. But Firmino, sometimes he overthinks a lot. And in the last few games, even mm-hmm. last night, when there was a moment where you suppose we thought that, yo, instinct might take over and starts thinking, no, maybe I should pull it back for Mane and loses the ball all, all the way altogether. You know, so it's, it's the physical exertion and then the pressure and then the constant playing and there's no space for him. You know, there's no space between the games for him to take a breathe and, you know, you know, be free, be free at converting those chances. Uh, I think when Jota comes back, which I am pretty sure he's not far away, you might me see a more sharper Firmino towards the end of the campaign. But until that time, he's going to keep like you know spilling over chances game by game. So I think it's I think it's interesting, and I think I think Klopp seems like the kind of manager that would, um, if he thought it was damaging the side in any way, he would he would remove him. Um, but I think you you have to weigh up strengths and weaknesses of individuals, and I'm sh- Klopp seems to think and assume, and we can see that Firmino is like the oil between and creates a space that Mane and Salah get chances. And there is that, score. but the other thing is at the moment Minamino's on loan. Origi is Origi. Yeah, uh, Jota's injured. So who would you yeah. even replace him with if you wanted to give him a break? Yeah, that's that's very true. It would be it would be Origi. Or, Playing two, playing a two round, yeah, and, three, and, much, and maybe it's a much a bigger um, structural change, which is the very last thing we need with all the structural mm-hmm. changes elsewhere on the pitch. So I can understand why we're so, persisting. 
So do you think then if Jota had been yeah. fit or we because we because Firmino played all the time when Minamino was yeah. here, didn't he, Mike? So so Klopp could have rotated him had he wanted to. I've got to admit, I don't understand the Minamino loan at all. No. Anyone want to enlighten me? <laughs> Regular but game Rafa. time, I guess. Yeah. I think to try and get him um sort of in line with the uh with the Premier League a bit more, he was he just isn't going to play every week at Liverpool and he probably is at Southampton. Now, I suppose it sort of smacks of cutting off their nose to spite their face this season, you could argue, but I think perhaps for the longer term benefit, that's why they've done it. Not saying I'm, I agree, but I would imagine that's the thinking behind it. Mm. Mm. Don't know. Well, Austin also came out. So he, in the last game, he came out and he was saying that, yeah, Minimum is a good player. And then he had, in the interview, he just said that, you know, there's a defensive side that he needs to work on to, you know, be the player, to become a really effective Premier League player, for even for Southampton. Mm. So maybe in the sessions that we are not privy for, maybe there was some quality that was still lacking and Liverpool thought, you know, in the system when the team is struggling a lot, you know, you can't take so many risks by including a new attacker who is not used to the system. But then you get confused because his display against Crystal Palace was like, wow, like he gets the shot in and scores the goal. And then you think that, you know, now he's going to get, get a more run of games. But then he's offloaded to Southampton and Southampton still believe there's a lot of work to be done. So if they think that a lot of work needs to be done, then I think he's still quite far to become a Liverpool player uh, if you take the current circumstances that we have right now. Yes, I, I was shocked by the by him going out, particularly with Jota injured. And I, I, I've been thinking that Firmino's needed a bit of a rest for a while, but... Um, also, it's not just for me now, is it? Right, no, front three. Mm. It's not a big drop off, but all of them are a little below what they should be. Mm. And I think that's just game intensity and, and lack of recovery time. Um, and none of them are getting a chance to recover that. So no. I think that the Jotter injury has hurt us far, far more than most people realise. Agreed. And it kind of it kind of plays into the uh, the next article that I'm going to share, and it's called um, The Mother of All Black Swans in a Tailspin. Um, and, th- and this is the man, this is the initial kind of an overview for Macoman. And, and I like it because you've got the possible the two main factors I think of Liverpool's struggles since um well all season at times, the <laughs> the officiating and the injuries. Now I like how he's laid it all out there. And how how do you see those eleven things like playing into each other? Because it's interesting they do, don't they? Yeah. To me, the the big thing is the the loss of that last five percent of fitness, and I think because of the way we play and the significance, not just of the pressing, which is what everyone sees, but also the the incessant movement off the ball, so that there's always not just a passing option, but a good passing option. And I think that's what we've lost, is everything's just dropped that little bit. And clearly the, the injuries have been a huge part of why that's happened, because we've just not been able to give anyone a rest. You know, if if you if both knees are unbroken, you go into the 11 at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bees, what... what do you, it, which would you say has been the most influential? Injuries are officiating. There's it's got to be injuries. There's an easy question. For well, me. no, I think I think it is. I think it is injuries because it just creates a negative spiral. I think the the officiating, as much as it feels like it's constantly 
against us, it is limited to one game. You know, the bad decisions by a referee that day affect yeah. that game. Virgil van Dijk suffering a terrible injury obviously affects the season. You know, the, the, the bad decisions will have cost some points, possibly, but in isolation in games, whereas the injuries have just mounted up and it's a vicious circle and, it, and it's kind of gone from there. So I think it's, I think it's a lot more. I think the, the, the officiating is kind of infuriating, obviously, but from a Liverpool perspective, but it sort of is what it is and you don't ever pay much attention to the bad decisions that other teams get. And maybe they don't get as many, who can say? But the point is, I, I sort of, I think you're always going to get decisions go for you and against you. And whilst it seems unfair, it just, it is what it is. But the, the, the injuries have just been horrendous. Obviously. And obviously you always have injuries as well as you always have bad decisions. But I don't think anyone can remember anything as extreme as, as this. And not just for Liverpool. Can anyone remember anything as extreme for for any team, not just the three centre-backs, but then everything that's kind of spiralled out from there. I mean, I can't yeah. think and of the an fourth example. And fifth centre-backs. You know, it's, yeah. I, mean, I was surprised commentators didn't pick up on this yesterday, but we put out our sixth and seventh choice centre-backs and our eighth choice was unavailable for some reason. Ben Davis wasn't even on the bench. He's been injured. And our third choice goalkeeper. And I don't even know who we had as a goalkeeper <laughs> on the bench. There were two names on the bench I'd never heard of before. I both assumed one of them was a goalie. Yeah. No, they both were. Oh, Okay. Yeah, both goalkeepers. We're yeah playing with uh, can only make three subs, and yet we've got two um, reserve goalkeepers on the bench, which probably right. sums up the depth of the squad quite nicely right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, really yeah nine players absent by my count yesterday, which um, obviously equals the the thing for the season, but the most for the season. But I think it's been at least five players absent for the last. I've lost count of how many games now, thirty games or something like that, and often yeah. more than that. So. And it's not just the number, is it? It's the, the concentration at centre-back. So I feel like if we had any one of Van Dijk, Gomez or Matip available, for example, then Kabak would probably be looking a lot better for us, playing yes. alongside. Yeah, you're in, as well, you, I mean, you only have to look that the, the most consistent partnership and the one with the best record is Matip and Fabinho. So it only takes sort of one senior centre-back and Fabinho... Mm to stay fit, which is obviously a huge ask. But had that happened, we, we would have been in much, much, much better position mm. than we are. But yeah, it's just the, the constant chopping and changing. I think it's 28 different combinations of centre-backs and goalkeepers we've had now. And as you say, I mean, who'd have picked, you know, at the start of the season, you'd have never imagined it'd be Adrian and, um, you know, two that guys you'd barely heard of. Yeah. But that, that is where we are, so... Abbe, I've got this. We're talking about physical injuries there, but number eight and number nine on this summer suggest that mental and emotional fatigue, one caused by officiating, two caused by injuries, or uh, the compressed schedule. Um, it's not often talked about mental and emotional fatigue, but I, I sent some with Klopp, and we all, we all, and I said I, I thought it was there before we heard the news about his, is the horrible news about his mom, but this, this. There seems to be somewhat of a little spark gone, and I just think it's crowds. And I think you do get fatigued when you're having football matches where you've all you've 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 previously used all the energy for yourself, for the team, for the fans to get other fans, and then it's not there. Well, I do agree with you about fatigue, but I, I don't think we can really blame the crowds, and the reason is. There are 20 teams in the league who all think that they have the best fans in the league. And I obviously 
Well, I think you're special. We have. <laughs> but still, in all, every team will have been really badly suffering from that. True. I, I just mean that that's a, the, the mental and emotional fatigue, I think, is a factor that's often not discussed and should be, especially in, in relation to Klopp. Yeah, I think one of the key things that even Klopp came out last season was like, I am on these sidelines and you see him like a completely different character. He's shouting, he's like, and we have seen him this season where he's like exasperated with the stuff that's happening on the pitch. And that takes some amount of beating because me as a normal person, you know, if things go bad after a period of time, I would give up. But Klopp has this phenomenal strength of keep, keep, keep going on and like keep doing stuff. And then the story about his mother's news and all that like it's gonna like knock anyone down be especially in the middle of a pandemic but he still kept going on his biographer i think uh, a person named neveling obviously kept on that if there's any one person who can like take liverpool out of a hole right now it's got to be Klopp because he's seen seen this and done that with dortmund so there's no other better person to take them out of the situation right now and all apart from this the fact is that we don't have any leaders who basically take care of the team as well because you've got no Van Dijk and for a brief period in time we didn't, we didn't even have Mimla so he's quite a, a great leader inside the dressing room and you don't have that and then this like is going to spread like anxiety with the newcomers as well most of them have not seen or like they've heard about the Liverpool's famous Liverpool support but now not mm-hmm. felt it so there's a flip side to this as well like when the crowds come back and when the mistake starts to happen like how are going to, they, they're going to take that feedback. So it's going to be like a two-way thing, you know. There's going to be acclimatization to the crowds whenever they come back. But right now, for the players who are used to the crowds, it's just like, it just becomes a bit empty because that extra 5% that used to come, we always saw that when we came second, we won the league, that extra 5% like made a lot of difference. And you could sense it in the crowd that, you know, they want to keep this, pushing this team forward to, you know, do amazing stuff. And they came up with the goods and it's not there. And it's, it, it's a weird situation all, all together. And there's an additional thing, the co-adaptiveness within the teammates that needs to happen. The problem is all of them are so new that the co-adaptiveness is not happening in the training sessions. It's happening on the field. So on the fly, you've got 20-year-old Kabak learning on the fly what Allison's going to do. And that's what we saw in the Leicester game where... Allison is a sweeper keeper, but Kabag by instinct doesn't know this. So he sees a ball, he runs towards, he's trying to clear it. And then Allison, by by whatever nature, comes there and collides with him. And then he Allison then goes on to make two more mistakes against City as well, like in the prior game as well. So it's is for a person who has been so run down in terms of Allison, we've never seen him doing something like this, giving the ball to the uh, to the opposition player. It is all causing all sorts of confusion here mm-hmm. and there as well. And there's a very interesting paper about co-adaptiveness, which says that the longer a team is stable, even if you've got not elite players, but at least they try to understand each other, what the skills can they complement with each other? That really helps the team forward. And this evidently shows last night as well. You know, now we've got like a stable partnership, at least for one more game in terms of Phillips and Kabak, but we don't know it's going to last for the Chelsea game. So... It's quite an interesting paradox that you have that, you know, one thing leads to the other. But then if you're trying to hot fix over here, you don't know what you're going to break over there. So it's like all over the place that you can very, see right very now. Very good. Very good. Um, Mike, there's not just losing the defensive qualities of Van Dijk. And I'm going to share the screen now. But there's also how, how 
effectively are in the opposition box and how, how many set pieces we were scoring before it, everyone got injured. Paul's been really strong on this. It's come up a lot of times. And the, the, the most important point he makes, I think, is that it's not just that Van Dyke scores the odd header, but that when all of the opposition defending at set pieces is focused on him or maybe on Matty, that's what opens the spaces. That means people like Manny are scoring headed goals as well. So that when we lose those players who are strong in the air from attacking positions, there's a ripple down effect that means that everybody does less well in those positions. It's just, bees. Have, have you got the, the figures on? You could see the drop off there to what it is when we've not yeah. got um, Van Dijk and Matic. But just overall, we're not scoring from set pieces, are we? We're not a threat. No, and it was a big part of, of, uh, of our success last season, 20 set-piece goals, I'm pretty sure. And as I mentioned earlier, just as an example, that Brighton game, two set-piece goals and we win 2-1. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge, really, whether it's Van Dijk or anybody else, as you say. I mean, we're, even, we're not um, even scoring, we haven't scored a direct free kick either, which we've done at least one of every year in the last eight. And obviously, it's not going to be a huge source of goals, but it's just another thing that has disappeared for whatever reason at a time when we could absolutely do with a sort of cheap goal from a, from a free kick or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's just all these sorts of things. It'd be interesting to go back sort of historically and see about, you know, what players were playing when we scored set piece goals and stuff like this. But obviously most of the time you do have center backs. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost like you can't really compare this season with anything because there's no sort of, Oh, here's the other season where Liverpool had no centre-backs. And look, they didn't score any set-piece goals because <laughs> they will have had centre-backs. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, it is a huge loss. Um, it's probably not a coincidence, in, at least in terms of the overall size of the team. Another thing Paul um, right, refers to and writes about quite a lot, but um, our previous worst season for scoring set-piece goals was 2014-15. And obviously, at that point, we had a fairly um, small team uh, which was then sort of bequeathed to Klopp. Um, so that that was an issue then. Even though we had centre-backs, you know, we had quite a small team and we didn't score many set-piece goals. So it's obviously, it can't be, you know, obviously the two, the two things are linked. Um, but it doesn't look like it's anything that we're going to be able to do much about this year. I mean, you, you'd think Nat Phillips might be able to perhaps do something in the opposition box. Good in the air. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean... I would probably stick with Phillips and Quebec from here onwards just to have a partnership that lasts for more than two and a half games um, and see if they can build up a relationship and maybe get Fabinho back in midfield if he's coming in. But if they can build up a relationship and then maybe um, either of them can, can contribute. I don't know if um, Quebec scored many over the years, but uh, yeah, definitely three. need something. Three or something, I think it was. Right, okay. Yeah, Quebec scored three goals, yeah. Right, so perhaps not too likely. But. <laughs> I think I saw somewhere on Twitter that uh, Quebec and uh, Phillips is now our something like fourth longest run any pair of centre-backs has had this season. Unbelievable. Yeah, so I, and I agree, Andrew, that they may not be the best two available to us, but the fact that they've built up some little bit of rapport means they're the best combo for us to use now, probably. Michael was speaking about Phillips and Quebec. I guess he kind of fits into this rookie minutes because he's only young. But um, it's another factor of 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 where the the drop in performance levels compared to last season is has happened. And if you look at those, that's a lot of minutes for for people who haven't played before, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Especially Nat Phillips. Yeah. 
And uh, I mean, Curtis Jones obviously is a different discussion. Yes, but and I think sometimes it does help you, doesn't it? But he's he's still had periods in games where he has looked his age. Yeah, but I I would say it's more been to do with individual decisions he's made rather than periods yeah, where he's just yeah, drifted yeah. out, and that feels more fixable to me. Agreed. And then if you look at the, the our our record this season compared to uh <laughs> less Leicester Man City Chelsea and United, it's just kind of off the scale ridiculous. I don't know what the percentage increase there is, Bees, from Chelsea's <laughs> it's a lot. Yes, it is a lot. And um obviously it's interesting that we're playing them next, of course, because it's a massive game for the for the top four and we're going to have a patched together team and they seem to have hit the ground nicely with their, with their new manager. So um, yeah, tough game coming up. It is a tough game. Let, let's, <clears throat> Abbey, we, we've had, I think we've had three similar games against Leicester, Everton and Sheffield United. Uh, obviously one win, but good performances. I think our performances have improved in these last three compared to put the ones, you know, between like Spurs and West Ham and, and the Leicester game. Yeah, I mean, I mean the Leicester game for eighty odd minutes, I guess, good. until like Harvey Barnes like fell like yeah. into it. And there's a and there's a refereeing bias against Thiago. For the life of me, I can't understand the guy goes near a player and he gets like he gets penalized for going near a player. I don't know why that happens. Uh, but yeah, performance wise, uh, even the Everton game, it felt like you know it felt like yeah we might score. You know, because the number of chances that we were creating, you know, we might score for one of those chances. We might, you know, see luck turning on our side and like scoring, even though luck is like heavily imbalanced in all of these games. And we should have at least, I mean, if you did the Monte Carlo simulation, like I would really want to see it again for all these three games. Like I am pretty sure like at least we were got like, uh, what do you call it? At least two points out of like Everton and the Leicester game. Maybe we could have won the Leicester game as well. But performance-wise, you can't say that, you know, we were pathetic, you know. The problem is that it, you, everyone gets frustrated is that our forward line is misfiring for unknown reasons. And it's obviously luck against them. And then officials come in into picture, which then, like, wants to pull the remaining hair on your, on your head, which I have quite a few, <laughs> to, like, pull it out and say that, are you even seeing the game that I'm seeing? Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I can't... I can't, you know, make make myself even understand. And then last night, and I can't unsee that footage. Like, and I saw it again this afternoon. Uh, like, John Moss does not seem to be fit. And there's a section where the ball, where Ramsdale has a ball, which he thinks that it's not a good fit, proper ball. And that's been, you know, being thrown out of the pitch. And there's a new ball coming in. And there's a footage of, like, John Moss huffing, puffing through the pitch. And I think he's sweating. And I think, Oh my God! I mean, I, we are putting that person through a terrible ordeal, you know, through the, putting them through this match. I don't That's know how he passes it. He's got to take a fitness test. It has to. They do have to take one. You know? I don't know what it is, but it clearly hasn't got a big threshold. Uh. Yeah, and and I've seen I, I've seen flesh matches in the Italian league, in the Spanish league, in the Bundesliga as well. My last match was I went to Mainz and watched Bayer Leverkusen versus Mainz versus Bayer Leverkusen. The referees are fit. I mean, they're really fit. So I don't understand what level of like fitness tests are carried out by the premier by the PGMOL. 
which was PG MOB a few uh, yeah, yeah, weeks back. But okay, performance-wise, we've been, been, been there, but the yeah, marginal decisions have gone against us and that work glosses over, over all the good work that we have done. I believe we should definitely do the Monte Carlo situation, uh, sorry, simulation on all of these. We should have at least got like two points out of those games, maybe, maybe four, but yeah, it's up in the air up till this point. And Matt, what, what have you made for the... Uh, I think it's a good three-game block because I think we can both agree that Man City and Brighton weren't that good performances. There were clearly issues with the team there. Understandable for all the changes that we had to make, but I think it's, it feels like we've got a little bit of his mojo back in the last three. Yeah, that's how it looks to me. <laughs> oh, you want more than that? <laughs> I mean, I can't really explain why the performances have been better yeah. in those three games because all the same factors are still applying. Yeah, you know the the loss of energy, obviously the the plague of um, injuries. One thing I guess is I, we've got to be fair and say the officiating that earlier in the season was just ludicrous is, is not at that level now. I think you always get. Decisions that go against you, you don't like. But I don't look at whole games now and say, well, that was just a nonsense. But I, I don't think that's enough to explain um, why things have, have looked up in those last three games. Well, especially since we're talking about performances rather than results. So I don't know. You tell me. What's changed? <laughs> well, I, I guess I guess we could say it's a four-game stretch because it was the Leipzig game as well, wasn't there? Um, as in that. I just think, attacking-wise, against Brighton, we barely had any shots or big chances um, against Man City. It was defensive errors that cost us. Um, and then in the in the other games, the Leicester game, I thought we created plenty of chances, big chances. Leipzig, we were, we were clinical. Um, the Everton game, <laughs> it's hard to explain some of the things that happened in that one, but I thought the performance was there, uh, particularly the second half. And then, and then yesterday, six big chances is huge. How often does that happen, Bees? Not very often at all. Um, I was just having a look, actually. You know what? The, the, the one factor in those four last four games is Kabak has played in all of them. So <laughs> right? it must be down to that, surely. Yeah. Well, consistency. It's not yes, as funny exactly. as it sounds. I nice, think uh, nice, nice. Yeah, having a dedicated centre-back, back at centre-back, even if as an individual he's not necessarily playing brilliantly, I wonder if it just twists the shape of the team back into the direction it needs to be. Well, they must. I mean, they, they, they should have more trust for him, as say, even if because he's a centre back by trade, you know. Yeah. And um, I still think he's sort of done okay. It's obviously the, the all, problem is all errors get sort of amplified, don't they? Any mistakes. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't think he's done too badly on the whole. But um, yeah, it, it probably does help if they. Could, that's again going back to what we said earlier. Sort of settle partnership with with Phillips. You might not yeah. pick it, but it might work for the for the sort of greater good of the team mm. Mm. And just uh, just before we just before we finish up it and you two can think well while, while i'm asking him what what's an acceptable finishing position or finish to the season should i say this season i'll be i know it's a tough one but does it have to be top four uh i i don't think so uh, i think we'll probably finish between fourth and sixth, uh, if if there was a probability, you know, distribution across it, like you know, I, I think it would be a bell curve where like we might finish fifth. But uh, it comes with the obvious caveat that yeah, we're lifting the European Cup, 
with this some way or form that we have a stable partnership and then you've got like jota and uh, uh jota and knabi keda getting a stretch of games which actually you know helps you in midfield rotation and also the front three rotations so uh, i've stopped believing uh, uh 538 after the debate <laughs> they had in terms of the 20 the american election when trump won it but uh they still say that uh we have a fair chance to finish third uh, i was looking at terry dolan's rpi some of the teams have got uh to m- uh, make up but we are we are fairly right now in the mix where all the teams are level in terms of the difficulty of fixtures they are about to face our next stretch is going to be interesting because if you beat chelsea then there's a big boost in terms of like getting a patch of form and also comes with the fact that Leicester will be Leicester last season or maybe the seasons before as well where they collapse dramatically last because season, now they've season, got yeah. yeah they they now have injuries now which could possibly you know derail them but we are not sure that that's a massive assumption so a lot of things need to go our way for that to happen and that you know this being such a random season where luck is being dished out in a very different fashion fourth is being very optimistic fifth is being realistic and sixth being like like you're right like john most officiates more games for us and gives decision <laughs> against us so then we finish sixth definitely or maybe below I, i would want to avoid the europa league for the sake of it but you can't do that because klopp's not the person who's going to be like ah boys mm-hmm. now throw away all the games we don't want to finish in the europa league spots so that's yeah. not happening you're right mike what's acceptable well the best way to avoid the europa league is to win the european cup Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know I've got a you, you never do know obviously knockout football but there's something in me just says I don't know wouldn't it be just the most epic acts of trolling if we won the European Cup this year. Would you. Yeah. But yeah I expect finishing the top 4. I mean it sounds arrogant to say this but I just can't see West Ham staying ahead of us by the end of the season. Um as you've said Abby Leicester do tend to have this habit of falling away and they've got serious injuries actually um possibly second only to us in terms of the importance of their injuries so i i would be surprised and disappointed not to finish top 4 but your question was what's acceptable and, and I, i can't really answer that because if we did finish fifth or ninth or something i wouldn't say oh we've got a sack clop or or get fsg out or anything like that so in a sense anything is acceptable provided there are reasons for it Yeah, which they are. Uh bees. You're muted. Sorry, I was on mute there. Um yeah, similar to Mike, I think almost anything is is acceptable within reason, I think because it's been just such a you know, crazy season with the with the injuries and everything else that's gone on that I don't think much will change regardless of where Liverpool finish. Um I said after the derby that I didn't think Liverpool would finish in the top 4. So I should probably stick with that, be a man of my word or whatever, but um I d- I do agree. I think I think we'll um go past West Ham. It's just how badly Leicester are affected, I guess. I think obviously if we beat Chelsea uh, it will all look a lot a lot healthier, but um I'm not convinced that we'll finish ahead of Chelsea. at this point because they're going along very nicely so it sort of depends i think us or leicester for the fourth spot mm. and they currently have a six point advantage with only 12 to go but that can obviously um that can turn around um i think looking down the list i mean we play obviously we play chelsea it's a huge game but we don't 
um, play Leicester again. We don't play West Ham again. We don't play Everton again. So we can't do anything. Don't play there. City. Don't play City again either. No. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's gone. Even I'm prepared to admit we're not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we can't sort of affect the teams. Most of the teams around us, we can't sort of affect them. So all we've got to do is worry about ourselves. I think I also noticed it. No, team in fourth normally gets sort of 19 or 20 wins. Um, I believe we're on 12, so we probably need eight wins from the last 12 games, which is which is quite a big ask with an injury ravaged squad and Champions League. I I would think at least quarterfinals to deal with, so um, it's going to be a big ask. That's sort of why I don't think we'll finish in the top four. But as I said, if we beat Chelsea this week, then all of a sudden it it starts to look a lot more possible than it does. As I'm sat here on Monday evening talking about it. I guess. Yeah. What do you think, Daniel? I think if Jota and Kabak can stay fit, because I think if we lose another centre-back, then it's completely and utterly. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think if, if we can get some rotation of the front three and keep us a, a consistent centre-back pair, and I think we can come top four, even third. Because, um, like you say, Leicester have got a history of, of dropping off. And West Ham, it's hard to think they could continue it for that amount. And I think we've got the best fixtures of, of, of those three teams. Um, Chelsea, I think, will come in the top four as well. So I, I'm expecting those two to drop out and us and Chelsea to take it. Pretty much what I can't season. believe that crappy Man United team is going to finish second. I know. It's <laughs> an indictment of the season, really. Yeah. Talk, talk about Black Swan in reverse. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, their underlying numbers aren't good, but yeah. So what we say, we're saying that we think. So bees is edging towards not. I'm thinking we will. Mike, are you said you said we will. Abe, are you going to take it to the sixty-one percent that five thirty-eight thinks? <laughs> no, I've stopped us in five thirty-eight numbers long time back. So uh, yeah. If if we make it and the Leipzig game, we sh we should discount them in the return leg as well. No, we so, yeah, because uh, they I've watched them a few times and they're a really really good team who don't make defensive errors and they made two defensive errors uh, like well quite freak in that sense and they'll be all guns blazing on the return leg. So if we again go through Leipzig and we book a place in the quarterfinals. We definitely will. It happens. The players will consciously put more effort in the Champions League games and they'll try to conserve energy for that. And we saw in the Dark Leash season where the cup finals took precedence and like our league uh, game, I'm sorry, league form just, just toppled after one that pivotal game against Arsenal. So I feel that, you know, we will not make it in the top four, but if it's the European Cup making deeper ones, that's a great bet. And like, yeah, pack your bags for Istanbul. For that, I've only checked the flight tickets, they look promising. So, for me, <laughs> no. at least for now, <laughs> confident. So, so yeah, uh, I, I think it was Mike uh, who mentioned that you know, I have a good feeling that you know, that we might win the Champions League. And I'm like, all right, let's look at it. My place to Istanbul, how much is it going to cost? And it just looked promising to me, at least right now, for a week stay in. Yeah, what a great way to celebrate with by having authentic baklava after a European Cup win. You know? In the city of Miracle, Istanbul, yeah. Why not? <laughs> what a great place to end the podcast. Thanks for thanks for your time, each of you. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, everyone. Cheers, yeah. guys.